Like Call It What You Want, which we know is your favorite podcast about the beautiful game, Viore is committed to delivering a great experience for everyone, which is highlighted by their new perspective on performance apparel. Everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. In fact, I'm rocking their Stratotech polo right now, along with their Sunday performance jogger pants, so I can be business on top when I'm on camera, but super comfortable on the bottom. And it's just the best. Fiori gear is incredibly versatile, and it can be used for just about any activity. Running, training, swimming, lounging around, hosting podcasts, doing errands, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. And for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash call it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash call it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. I'm Jimmy Conrad, alongside Hollywood Heath Pearson today with the help of a very special guest. We're going to take a hard look at Wales, who just happens to be the U.S. men's national team's opponent in our opening game of the 2022 World Cup. And that game is kicking off on Monday, November 21st at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Make sure you are quote-unquote sick from work that day. And if you're not, we're going to have to really evaluate our relationship because what are you doing with your life if that hasn't already been determined? Anyway, Heath, before we bring on our special guest, Yolo Chung, who is a BBC journalist over in Wales, who's filling in for Charlie Davies today because Charlie doesn't have time for Wales, apparently. He just knows everything about them. Let's get into this really quick before we bring on Yolo. Do you fear this opponent, Wales, that is, for us at all? Is there any element of Wales that makes you a little bit nervous? Not nervous, but I I respect this opponent because... As we've seen, Group B is considered the most sort of uh, the most difficult or most competitive group of all the groups, right? Every other group within, uh, based on the, the rankings, and we know the FIFA rankings are arbitrary and they they make no sense. And I think at one point, Jimmy, <laughs> your your national team was ranked like number two in the world or something like that when you were playing. Plus, Wait, I was, was on the team. Yeah. It, was, I was, I was it is because you were on the team, but it was also just a bit bizarre and putting unnecessary pressure for like your average yes. fans. But but when you look at just sort of where everyone comes in or where every, everyone falls into the FIFA rankings, which Take you know plus minus five five on on either of those. It's still the most competitive group, and that means it's wide open. That means that Wales looks at the U.S. the same way the U.S. looks at Wales. That means Iran looks at Wales and looks at the U.S. the same way that that the U.S. is looking at both of them, and with the belief that they can win, with the belief that okay maybe we can't get England, maybe we can get a, if we can just get a point against England, then we can beat the U.S. We can beat the other one, and I think that's a dangerous recipe because there is no clear. Uh, underdog. There's nobody fighting for their life in this group, which means everybody thinks they have a chance. So off the st- off the bat, I I respect Wales, but I like our odds. Interesting. Yeah. You like our odds. I like that confidence. Let's bring on our now new resident Wales expert, who is going to be on the show many times moving forward, whether he likes it or not. It's here, Iolo Chug. What's up, Iolo? Uh, first and foremost, thank you so much for your time. We know you did a little bit of uh, the good stuff on the Kegelasso podcast, but you were so good on that one, we had to steal you to bring you on in Soccer We Trust. So right now, we just heard from Hollywood Heath Pierce, Yolo, that he said that he likes our odds, the U.S.'s odds against Wales. I'm kind of getting the sense that Wales are kind of liking their odds against the U.S. Can you confirm or deny this rumor? Well, I'm glad to see that Heath is downplaying Wales's <laughs> chances because uh, I think we like it that way. You know, we're we're going to come in here as as the underdogs as the team. No, you're not. I just said you're not. That's out of context. I said that Wales like their chances against the U.S. the same way that the U.S. does against Wales and Iran. It's a very bizarre group, but don't don't take me out of context. <laughs> keep going, no, Yola. Keep going. No, to be fair, I, th- I think I agree with that assessment. I think the, the, those three teams are all looking at that and thinking, yeah, you know, well, we we fancy our chances. You know, we they they're not much better than us, if 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 at all. And so, you know, we've we've got a chance of nicking something. England yeah, as well. I know they're the top seeds, but they've had a bit of a wobble recently. So, 
there's a good chance one of those three teams are taking points off England. We don't know where and when, and so that might throw the cat amongst the pigeons as well. But it, it it's definitely, as Heath says, it's a it's an open group, and we all think we've got a chance. Yeah. How does Wales feel about kind of how the group is set up? Because you play us first, then you play Iran, which on paper, based on the FIFA rankings, is the easiest of the opponents in the group. And then you get England last. I'd like to think that you're feeling pretty good about how that, because even if you just get a draw against the U.S., you go get the three points against Iran, it takes a lot of pressure off of you to maybe have to go get a win against England. You might just be able to squeak out a draw. And given that this core group of players for Wales has gotten to a semifinal of the Euros before, has gotten to the round of 16 in the last iteration of the year. I mean, they, there's a lot of experience here. Now, obviously, booking their ticket to their first World Cup since 1958. Not only do you have experience, but you have some confidence that you know how to have success in these types of tournaments. Yeah, and I think, Jimmy, what you were saying about the, the format of the group or the, the, the order of the games, that's kind of worked out perfectly for Wales in a way because, as you say, the US game to start with, I think... You'd, you'd, we'd probably be able to take a draw or certainly I think we'd be happier with a draw than you guys because obviously you've got a tougher second game whereas we've got a second game where we've still got more potential to pick up points isn't I mean if if Wales managed to get four points from the first two games that'll be perfect really because um, it as, it as you say it sets up that last game where there's a little bit less pressure uh, or you know exactly at that point what you need to go and get against the top seeds whereas if you play them earlier on you're not sure whether you can afford to lose against them. We know by that point what we can afford to do. Um, it, it's similar in a way to what happened in our group at the Euros last year. So we played Switzerland in the first game, managed to get a, a one-all draw, even though they were probably the stronger team on the day. Then we went and beat Turkey 2-0 in the second game. So there we've got to the four points. The last game against Italy, the strongest team in the group, there's a bit of pressure off it. We know that a point will definitely be enough. Even a narrow defeat is probably enough, which is what happened. We we lost one nil, but finished second anyway. So, it, I I'd imagine mm. they would they will look at it in the same way and and probably look to do something similar. Interesting, Jimmy. Actually, I got a question for you, Jimmy. Going back as I was thinking through this, of three teams that that think they they like their odds, knowing that there's one clear favorite, but the rest is seemingly open. I mean, how? Jimmy, coming going back to the 2006 World Cup, was there an underdog feeling within the team, even if uh, you felt there was a chance? Because based on the group, there was a chance to get through as well, right? In in 2006, did you? Was yeah. it? Was it? A, I guess. I guess from like a positioning standpoint, is it better sometimes to to have the underdog mentality where the edge is off a little bit versus being like Wales, Iran, and the U.S. can all feel like, well, we're meant to take second. We're meant to be in second place. We're meant to get out of the group based on this group, and therefore the pressure is a little bit higher from the start. Well, I, to your point and what you said very early on with the FIFA rankings, I believe we were top five, maybe even third in the FIFA rankings heading into that World Cup. And obviously with the 2002 World Cup, making it to the quarterfinals and getting unlucky not to get past Germany when we outplayed them, felt a little bit like we had something more to gain. There was more out there for us. And so in 2006... The run-up to that, there was just so much expectation. You had that FIFA ranking going, and we were in the group of death. We had Czech Republic, who I thought came out as the underdog in that game. They had more to gain, and it felt like we had more to lose. And then when they scored in the first couple minutes, it just didn't seem like that was going to be our day to get back into it. It didn't have that same magic of being up 3-0 against Portugal in the opening game of 2002. We played Italy second and then Ghana last. So I don't know where you think the weakness is in that particular group, but that is a proper group of death. And even then, we still had a chance. We gave ourselves a chance. Lost the first one, drew the second one with Italy, and still gave ourselves a chance that if we win in that last game, and, and Italy does and beats Czech Republic, we can go through. And we just couldn't get the job done in that last game. But we still had an element of chance. But losing that first game changes a lot of things. And obviously, uh, our resident Wales expert, Iolo Chung, who's a journalist for the BBC, knows this quite well. But I actually want to talk about a couple of the players here, Iolo. And the biggest one is Gareth Bale, who made a big surprising move to MLS and LAFC in particular. Now, we know the golf is going to be tremendous out in LA. And I think he's actually going to be proper, properly motivated for this because he wants to be sharp heading into the World Cup. And MLS's season actually works out perfect because by the time that season ends, it rolls right into that, that World Cup training camp and then right into the World Cup itself. What's the reaction, though, from the Welsh people with regard to their biggest star now playing in MLS. 
Um, I think for Wales fans, generally, it's been quite a positive reaction um, because, as you say, it, it, it does tally well with the schedule going into the World Cup. He's, he's said before that he, he was always going to have a club in mind um, or he was going to be looking for a club with the World Cup in mind and how that affected preparation. So, as you say, the, the schedule works out nicely. You know, it's it, it's obviously a growing league as well. So, he's, he, you know, it, it, there's no great feeling that he's taking a big step down or anything. Um, as you say, it's, it's obviously a very competitive team at the top of the league as well. So, he might, he, he's surely going to be making a, a, a big contribution there. I think the only people who are upset are the Cardiff City fans who mm. obviously thought that Bale was maybe going to be joining his hometown club uh, and so are a little bit disappointed because I think in the last couple of weeks there there was definitely some momentum behind the, the thinking that he was actually maybe you, going to join Cardiff. Do you think he'll Cardiff. end up there though? Like after LA, do you think he'll end up and just tie a bow with his whole career by going back to Cardiff? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Uh, I think Cardiff's chairman came out today and, and suggested something similar that they were very close to sealing the move, and obviously LA came in then with with what was clearly a better offer. But that certainly, you know, he he had no objections to going to Cardiff otherwise, and that it's it, so, it's quite possible that he will do uh, later well, on in his career. Yeah. Well, so what do you think the 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 motive or the intention is? Right, take the golfing jokes aside for to come to <laughs> Tim Ellis because. Obviously, they go deep into the playoffs. I think you would have to probably miss that, right, Jim? I'm not sure when the official release date is uh, that teams have to uh, release their players. To I go think it'd be okay. Yeah, I think it'd be okay because the um, most of the domestic leagues in Europe are playing up until the week before the World Cup. So okay, actually, yeah. So MLS yeah, Cup ends the week before the World Cup starts. So yeah, I guess that would be fine. Not a lot of preparation yeah. going into this one. But what do you think the motive is if we're talking about Cardiff being the, maybe the next step after that? What is what is the what, what do you think the reasoning behind Gareth Bale's move to Los Angeles Football Club is? I think for him, it's it's possibly a lifestyle thing as well as as well as the football. Um, you know, LA somewhere. You know, we you wouldn't be surprised to to have seen him go even before this came out. Um, you know, obviously he's he's spent a lot of time in in Madrid now. It's not as if he he felt oh yeah someone who who has to come back to the UK uh, to play. Um, the you know the 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 standard of, of football in the MLS, I think you know will suit him. The pace of the game will probably suit him as well. He's looking at that, and um, and I think it, we we always thought that was somewhere that he might end up going. Obviously, he's come out of Real Madrid where there was such the high pressure environment. He didn't have a great relationship with the fans by the end, and I think maybe going to somewhere like LA might kind of take a little bit of the the pressure that he felt being somewhere like Madrid, there's certainly going to be less attention on him. I know he, obviously he's the big star in the league, but in terms of him as a, as a person in LA, I'm sure he's going to be feeling, uh, it actually you know, makes me kind of nervous. Recognized and, you know, less, less pressures as walking around in Madrid, for example, and all that kind of relationship with the fans. So, uh, it yeah, honestly yeah. makes me a little bit nervous because I don't know if I want Gareth Bale enjoying his football, you know, because when he is, and when you can tell he's, he's excited and, and feeling vibrant and, and confident, that guy's awesome. You know, he's so good. Now, what's interesting is that he only played five games for Real Madrid in La Liga last season, scoring once. He played 10 games for Wales, which is crazy. He played twice as many games for his national team and, and obviously proved that he can be a game changer at the international level. When he played for Spurs last season, he scored 11 goals for them, you know, playing for Jose Mourinho of all of all coaches, you know, still finding a way to, to be successful. He still has it in his tank. And, and so I, I I guess from a national team perspective, it makes me a little bit nervous that he's going to come off an MLS season where he's feeling great and is just going to be ready to go running into that that first game. It, I think it's a good move for him. I think he needed something a little bit different. And from an LAFC perspective, I mean, they've got Chiellini, so they're going to even though, yeah, he's older. But he's going to solidify that and just bring that experience. Uh, Carlos Vela just signed for 18 months. I'm actually going to throw this to Heath. Heath, you you go do color commentary for LAFC. I mean, how big of a move is this for from their perspective? Because the team that they're building, because this isn't even actually a DP signing. Yeah, he, he's going to fall under that for everybody that's into the MLS rule. There's a lot of rules here, Yola. We're not even going to bore you with the next 10 minutes of these mm -hmm. types of rules. We're just going to just assume that you already understand all of them. But but this is a pretty significant move for LAFC, Heath. Yeah, I was at the game yesterday. Uh, LAFC took on the New York Red Bulls and they won 2-0. And 
the team's in fantastic form right now, but I ran into John Thorrington and he talked about basically having to throw his phone away just because of how busy it was. And I think sometimes we forget just how good Gareth Bale is and has been in his career, right? And the, uh, he's had iconic moments, but when you think about the Gareth Bale from five, six years ago, it's unbelievable. And I think in the U.S., we're quick to forget just because it's a growing sport and we're like obsessed with the next thing, the next thing, that the people in the know are are more excited about the signing than, than what it felt like when Carlos Vela came in in terms of how he can now add to the pieces of this team if he's in form. And you, you talked about Chiellini. And they're kind of hedging their bets over this next window of time that all three of these players, including the quality that they already have in the squad, um, that something special is going to happen. And they're missing a few of these pieces. Obviously, Diego Rossi leaving um, and Rodriguez not being quite the level that they want him to be, uh, the Uruguayan international. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, all things considered, it's a massive, massive move. And the buzz around the club and at the stadium yesterday was huge. I mean, obviously, we had Mbappe there at the stadium, and it was kind of a cool thing. But people are talking about this move. They were talking. They're talking about Gareth Bale. They're talking about the arrival of Gareth Bale and how big of a signing it is. That I think again, people that have sort of been in our sort of meme world for the last couple of years of Gareth Bale, the the meme, have forgotten just how quality he is and how quickly he could dominate Major League Soccer. Although to Tio's point, it is a growing league and it is getting better. He still has a world-class capability that he could find his form heading into a World Cup, uh, a form that we haven't seen in, in some time. But can he do it on a Sunday at 1 p.m. in Houston, <laughs> Texas? That's what we all want to know, everybody. Okay, now, Iola, Gareth Bale isn't the only player in the Wales team that probably needs to find a new club and get some valuable minutes. Uh, Joe Allen has just announced he's looking to be on the move. Uh, Nico Williams looks like he's going to go out on loan once again from Liverpool, uh, Ethan Ampadu. Uh, there's plenty of players and, and the U S are kind of in a similar boat, which I think is kind of unique that we have these two national teams that are playing against each other first in the world cup, having similar issues with regard to, yeah, we've got some good players, but if they're not playing for their club teams, that might not be a good thing running into this World Cup. So so what players stand out for you in terms of that need to go get valuable minutes so you can kind of educate us over here? Um, well, one major one is probably Aaron Ramsey uh, because he's got a year left on his contract at Juve uh, at Juventus. Uh, he went on loan to Rangers last season. That didn't really work out. So he's well, not if you miss penalties in the Europa well, League final, you all <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, safe to say that that was uh, that was a spectacularly bad move. I think <laughs> oh, it didn't really work out, but um, he's certainly one that we'd we'd be hoping gets regular minutes again and kind of builds his fitness up again. We've got the two goalkeepers, Wayne Hennessy and Danny Ward. They were both kind of vying for the number one spot at the moment, but neither were playing regular football last season. Our main centre-back, Joe Rodon, also not getting any minutes at Spurs. As you mentioned, Ampadu as well. He, he'll, he'll be looking for another loan spell because I, I doubt that he's going to get a chance at Chelsea. Uh, and even a couple of others, Kiefer Moore, the, the big man up, up front, he's just been promoted with Bournemouth, but he was a fairly new signing in January for them. Didn't really play much in that last promotion run, and so I'm not sure how regular he'll get, be playing for Bournemouth in the Premier League. There's quite a few who are looking for minutes, and I think with this World Cup, because it, it more or less comes in right in the middle of a season, so you need to be up and running really and and kind of match fit and and have a run of games under your belt going into it, I think. And it, it's not one of those, obviously, it's different when you go on an, other international breaks and you might only be playing one or two games. So even if you're not fit, you can put in a 90-minute performance, that's fine. But going to a tournament, you need to be playing 90 minutes every three or four days and you have to have that match fitness to do that. Now, yeah, Heath, you actually, can I, I'm going to ask this to Heath and then I want to ask this of you, Yolo. Sorry to interrupt you, Heath. Yeah. But is there one player you think on the U.S. team, and Yolo, this will give you a, a moment to think about it from a Wales perspective, that it doesn't matter how they're playing with their club. They put on they put on their national team shirt and they're just, they always just find that gear, that, that next level that doesn't matter what their current form is. Heath, do we have someone like that on the U.S. team that... Is, is it a Tyler Adams that even if he's not playing a lot for RB Leipzig is is still going to give you that, you know, seven or eight out of ten? Yeah, I mean, this is the first time we've seen Tyler Adams go a period without playing and he came in and he was sharp and he was still always one of the most consistent players in camp. I mean, Christian Pulisic tends to find his form when he comes back into camp yeah. and not playing with Chelsea. So he's another one that I think whether he's playing or not tends to kind of give the sort of look at me. I look how good I am and show prove how good he is when he comes back in the national team uh, if he's not playing with with Chelsea. 
those are the two uh, that that I would say most consistently. Even Weston McKinney, in and out of time with with club teams over the years, has always r- risen to the challenge or kind of lifted his level when he comes back into the national team. And those are our core players, right? Those are the ones that we look at and go, no matter what, I know I'm going to get something out of these guys. Um, but but yeah, would love to hear Yolo's um, perspective. Yeah, Yolo, give us give well. us some scoop on Wales. You know, which which guys doesn't matter which team they're playing for. They put on that Welsh shirt and they're just a different level. Um, yeah, we've mentioned Bale already, uh, but I think Dan James is another one who's uh, who's who's always a danger when he plays for Wales. Uh, he, he's had a little bit of stick from from fans recently for his kind of end product, but actually his performances uh, for Wales have generally been good, even if he's in and out. He was at Manchester United and obviously moved to Leeds because he wasn't getting much game time there. Uh, but the other one, I'd say he's, he's had a great impact at international level since he he came into the squad a couple of years ago was Kiefer Moore, the striker. Obviously, he's I think he's six foot six, so obviously he offers something very different to other attackers and just seems to be able to to find form, you know, get get those goals wherever he's in a Wales shirt. Uh, he's he's certainly someone who's you know although he's he's been in, in and out of form. Uh, or in uh, with uh, with injuries recently for club level, he comes in and he does make an impact. So there there are definitely players who who seem to elevate themselves in a Wales shirt. Uh, the goalkeepers as well, as we've mentioned, Danny Danny Ward and Wayne Hennessy, they don't get minutes for their club, but Hennessy like was man of the match against yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was man of the match against Ukraine. I think um, he made nine saves against Ukraine, which was apparently a record number of saves in a game where he didn't concede any. Um, in in the European qualifiers, so you know he, he again stepped up, and he's 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 in his mid thirties now. He's he's getting on, but he played his best game for Wales, more or less, in that game, even though he hadn't been playing for his club. Yeah. Okay, here, 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 Jimmy, I got go a ahead, question go real quick go on shoot. this one. Looking at, and this is again for both of you on, on this. Looking at the next four or five months that leads up to the World Cup, which team do you think has the most important five months in terms of their players? Where we will look heading into the World Cup and saying they are significantly different than they are now based on playing time, players moving, right situation, form of the team in terms of the vulnerability, right? So you could have England go through a phase, but they've got plenty of depth. But their best 11, you might have a, a dip of form. Harry Kane might score, might, might not score for a long time or whatever might happen. You have the U.S. that has a bunch of young players that, you know, the, the lifespan of a career over six months is, is hugely significant to not be playing heading into World Cup. Wales... Similarly, players needing to make moves or get playing time. And then Iran, who haven't scheduled their national team games very well, but they do have a number of sort of veterans in the squad and some young up-and-coming players. A lot of their veterans also not getting time. So I guess the question is, uh, of these four teams, who has wh- whose next five months is the most important towards their ability to, to, to do something in this group? Yolo, you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, um, I I think yeah. When when you compare to the other teams, I don't think Wales are in quite that position where the, there's a crucial crucial five months where it's a make or break. Because yeah, I mean, obviously it'd be great if some of the players get more regular football, but I think the squad is quite settled. There's a good core there, and they know really what they're going to be doing, regardless of whether they've been playing that many minutes at club level or not. And we have. A, good idea roughly of who our strongest team is i think i, I feel like the the us team might be diff, a little bit different in in the regards of that that playing pool is so large and there are so many players who are trying to fight their way into the squad and it's it always seems like there are there are way more players being picked in a in a calendar year than you can squeeze into a squad and so how do you choose which ones are in form and which ones do you go for which ones have proven themselves at international level previously or do you go with those players who are in form playing for their clubs that one i think it, it seems to me you you can i mean certainly it appears from from outside that there's definitely less certainty about the squad compared to what I'd imagine, what I look at England and Wales, for example, and say it's fairly settled. I, I, I can probably pick the squad now. Jimmy Yolocheng is is going after Greg Berhalter for his player selection, saying he's calling in too many players. Which is well, we're just uh, broadening our player pool. I don't really have a problem with it, but at some point you got to make the hard decisions, and that's where he gets paid and why he gets paid the big bucks. Yolo, before we let you go, I, I kind of wanted to get your your insight on how important those game or that game was against Ukraine to kind of set the tone for what this group is capable of. And I guess this is ultimately me leading to 
a prediction for how you think Wales are going to do overall through the group and then of course how they're going to do against the u.s we're putting you on the spot here well he's still got they've still got belgium and poland poland in the in the nations league too which are I, great tune-up matches. great games um, we got japan and saudi arabia still two world cup opponents but don't have anything necessarily riding on it so i appreciate that context keith as we add more and more pressure to yolo to give us this hardcore <laughs> prediction here <laughs> yeah well June was a good month just because of that playoff win. Uh, we had four Nations League games where we didn't win any of them, but it was still a great month because of that one game that obviously mm-hmm. overshadowed all of it. But that game obviously affected the way we prepared for the, the Nations League games as well. You know, The first two games, we essentially threw them and played reserve teams because they fell either side of the, the playoff final. The last two, we got a good result against Belgium where we drew against them and then lost... Uh, narrowly in the last minute away against the Netherlands, having come from 2-0 down. So I think that window, it it showed, I think, that the Ukraine game wasn't a one-off. They're they're definitely confident, I think, that they can compete to that top level against those top teams. Uh, And I think in September, we'll see a bit more of that because obviously those are two games without the context of the World Cup playoff where we can actually just go and try and put our best team out against Belgium and Poland where we can need a result really to stay in Nations League A. Uh, and so I, th- I think the squad are pretty confident about uh, going into the World Cup. You know, even now, those now. Just losses. also to add, I want yeah. to add some context too to interrupt you because this is what yep. I do. I love it. Is uh, It's part of my charm, I think. It is the fact that Ryan Giggs officially stepped down last week yeah. as, as manager of Wales and that Rob Page, who's been the interim since all that stuff started to happen, I think he picked up the team or started being in charge as an interim at the end of 2020. And obviously he's done great things and deserves to be the full-time head coach to take this team to the World Cup. But that seems like it's a distraction that's now out of the way. And I think that actually gives the team even more clarity and focus coming into it. I think that's an important component to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you might think, oh, manager leaving his job now a few months before the World Cup is a disruptive thing, but it, it actually most certainly isn't. It's put a, a line under the, the whole issue. It, it, this is more or less Rob Page's team now anyway. This is, It has been for the best part of two years, so I don't think any anything will change in terms of it, it's good continuity for the squad now. Uh, and and going into the World Cup, they, they know then okay, we, we're going to continue doing what Rob Page has been doing. There's going to be no changes in that regard. And yeah, I think I think confidence is quite high because those results this month, you know, that when we put out, you know, understrength teams, we still got quite good results. We obviously won a huge game with the first team out. And I, I think they'll be looking at the, the World Cup with, with a fair bit of confidence. Um, there's... I I'm fairly confident we can we will be challenging with you for that second spot. All right, that sounds like he's straddling the fence a little bit, Heath. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, at least hey, we can hold hand we can hold hands on making sure Iran finishes bottom. You know, that's true. Can, that's true. Can, that's true. This is some Survivor Island type stuff where we've got to start <laughs> to figure out like there there can't be three of us going for one spot. There can be two of us maybe, but there can't be three. Well, I think. A lot of it will be down to what you and Iran do to England in those first two games, because that will definitely dictate the mood of them coming into our game. I mean, That's if you both lost against England, they might well be through already, and and that might help us because they might start playing around with the team and resting a few players. If you've given them a bloody nose, then it means we might have to do the nice same. To do. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, so, yeah. awesome, awesome. Well, Yolo, we appreciate your time. Congratulations on Wales. I think that's a big deal for, for the country and, and uh, continued great work with what you're doing with the BBC. And then we hope that you can come back on. And uh, where we we don't want you to be crying after November 21st after we beat you, but we might want to get your reaction afterwards. But we'll see how it goes. Yolo Chong, everybody. Thank you so much. Drop them a follow on Twitter if you want all of the latest news on the Welsh national team. An absolute legend. Thank you, Yolo. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Unbelievable. All right, everybody, we're going to take our first and only break of In Soccer We Trust. When we return, we're going to talk about Iolo now that he's not here and also get into some other news that we have to discuss. As always, don't go anywhere. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Whoa! 
Welcome back, everybody, to In Soccer. We trust your new favorite podcast. Maybe it's not your new favorite podcast. It's always been your favorite podcast from the very beginning. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Hollywood Heath Pierce. Unfortunately, Charlie Chuck Wagon Davies is nowhere to be seen. He's playing hooky. We think he's on some yacht somewhere in Cape Cod. We don't really, really even know, but uh, we hope that he's doing okay, of course. Heath, we just yeah. heard from Iolo about Wales. Very diplomatic. Very good interview. Gave us some great insight on, on the Welsh. You makes me nervous. You brought up those yeah. two games that they're playing against in the Nations League, against Belgium, against Poland, and how well they did. And I'm glad he brought that up in their last two games when they actually rolled out more of their first team and not necessarily their reserves because they were planning for that Ukraine game. This team is, is a team that knows how to get results. And they, and they were down 2-0 to the Dutch, came back and made it 2-2. We're unlucky to give up that third goal, make it 3-2. This is going to be a really tough opponent for us, and I don't think that American fans should take Wales lightly as we look forward to the second game of the tournament, which is against England. No, I mean, if you're Wales, you kind of have uh, a, a unique mentality in that you're part of European qualifying, UEFA, and you are always considered not one of the favorites. Now they've come a long ways. You go back to the fact that like everybody talked about Ryan Giggs back in the day and not playing in a World Cup and, and all that. Now they have this opportunity. But what Wales do know how to do is fight and scrap because most of these players have come from not England, right? Uh, they've they've come from this smaller nation that's had to prove themselves and do something different where the national team hasn't been at the same level. And I think you get a little bit of that scrap and fight where they're willing to wool up their sleeves if things get ugly and make it really difficult for you. And so it's certainly going to be a challenge. What's hard is that when we talk just through the context of Wales, you miss out on the context of, of Iran, who are also a capable opponent. And we quickly get into this idea of U.S. or Wales as the number two. And it's just not going to be that, 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 that easy to get through this group. There, there's going to be challenges along the way. And where, what I worry about is, again, when you look at our schedule, every team in this group has a different way that they're going to have to navigate, right? And this is group stages. And, and this team has not faced group stages. We're going to have, what, maybe DeAndre Yedlin is the only player that has played in the World Cup uh, but by the time That's right. the actual World Cup rolls around. And yeah, they play Champions League group stages. And yeah, they play in, in Nations League group stages and things like that. But in a four-day back-to-back-to-back tournament, navigating the group stages is everything, right? And and you talk about one point here, three points there. You know, how do you set up yourself to get through? Uh, because we're not the favorite in the group, how do you set yourself up to get out of a group? And there's a lot of navigating and so much chess-like to be able to get out of a group. And knowing that on a day, maybe a point is enough. Do we have the maturity now within our group? Because Wales has the experience to be able to look at something like you talked about. Uh, with 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 Ukraine, like you talked about in, in the Euros, of understanding getting into that final game of saying, you know, lose by a small margin or draw, there's a maturity to that. And losing one nil, they go, they go through. And I think does the US now have the ability to understand time and place and moments of games to when you're navigating a group stage to know that today's not our day, or we got to go out and take a little more risk to go and find that goal. That's tough, Jimmy. You've played in a World Cup where where those moments matter when you're trying to build within a table four days apart in matches. It's a lot of it's it's a lot more than just playing a team head to head, especially when you're not the favorite in the group. No, hundred percent. And this is great insight and context to to our conversation. What I would say is that for the first goal, we're going to preview this game in a lot of different ways. We have plenty of time, five months to to lead into this one. But that first goal, because all that prep, everything we're talking about. Depending on when that first goal is scored, I'm going to lean on my own experience. Obviously, a lot of hype going into that 2006 World Cup, as I mentioned before. We gave up a goal in the first three or four minutes, and it just felt like everything went out the window. All of a sudden, then we lose 3-0. Bruce Arena's acting like he's upset, right? He's, mm -hmm. he's, he's acting in a way that's emotional, in a way that feels somewhat irrational because of all that hard work and everything that you said leading up to it just got thrown out the window. And I'm curious to see, not only with the U.S., but also Wales, Iran, and England, if it doesn't start to go the way that you want or that you expected or prepared for, how do you adjust and how quickly can you adjust? Now, Heath, you and I both coach when we have the opportunities to do so. And one of the things that I look for is when we lose control of a game, how quickly can we get it back? Mm -hmm. and, and now when I'm coaching with the, with the Glens, San Francisco Glens in USL League 2, it's one of the things that I challenge the players. You don't always have to have the ball to be in control of the game, right? You can still push and dictate with your team shape where you want the other teams to have it. 
where it's non-threatening. Sure, they might have more possession, but it's non-threatening, and you're still kind of dictating what's happening out on the field. And that's a hard thing to teach, especially if all of a sudden you give up a first goal, and how do you now regain that and find your way back into the game? What scares me about Wales, and scares might be a little bit overdramatic, but what scares me about Wales is the fact that they have this core of players that have managed that in multiple tournaments. And they've done it against Ukraine in this really meaningful game. And, and this team knows how to get results by not playing well. And our team has shown that we have some of that. But what happens if it doesn't go our way in the first 5, 10, 15 minutes against Wales? We go down a goal. That's going to be a real big test of character, which is something we want, I think, ultimately, if we can scrape away the emotion of, of we want to get out of our group and we want to showcase how much better we're getting as a nation to the rest of the world. I want all those things. But we showed but some those- of that. We showed some of that in, in World Cup qualifying where we go down and there's not a lot of answers or we play poorly and there's not a lot of answers. But there was a consistent theme of knowing how to fight through those things. But in a World Cup, again, it's understanding. Maybe we can get out of this with a point, right? We're looking at Wales right now saying we need three points. And we can get three points from Wales. But what well, if we're down well, two nil and 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 or yes. one nil? You know, and and I think Wales has a better ability with the experience that they have, uh, actually coming out of a, a Euro tournament, actually in the Nations League with more competitive matches, with the quality of the players that they have, to be able to navigate. If they're down one nil, they look at us and they go, "Well, let's just get a, get a point against the US." Do we have that maturity on the US team to be able to say we got to get something out of it? Uh, regardless if it's not going our way, if we're not playing well, or we're not creating chances, there's a, again that that group stage experience is so crucial. Uh, like you said, because you opened up that first game and you could tell it wasn't what was it Czech Republic? You said right? Yes, in 2006, and you could tell it wasn't going to be your day. Can can you then bounce back from that in the next one without the desperation of saying we need to win and we need we need to win big uh, and and you know that sort of thing? Uh, let's just look at recent World Cups. Okay, 2002. Our opening game was against Portugal, and and honestly, not only did we shock the world, I think we shocked our own team. Like, holy crap, we're at 3-0 on Portugal in the first 30 minutes of the game. And if you actually go back and watch that game, that game probably should have ended 3-3. I mean, Portugal were all over us by the end. It ended up 3-2, and and we got fortunate to end up winning that one 3-2. But whatever, we got a result in the first game. 2006, we get our asses handed to us, and we lose uh, three zero. I said hasses. I meant was going to say, Hey, I don't know what I was going to say, but we got our asses handed to us and, and we didn't get through our group. 2010, we get a, 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 a draw fortuitously because Robert Green made a mistake, but it was one, one, even though Josie Altidore had a good chance there. Let's say one, one was a fair result. We got something positive from that first game against probably the hardest opponent in the group. Mm-hmm. And 2014, we beat Ghana two one off a late header by John Anthony Brooks after Clint Dempsey scored in the first minute. We don't qualify for 18, but that first group, Game is so incredibly important. Wales knows this. Iolo talked about it. We got a result in the last Euros against Switzerland. We didn't play well, but we scraped and we got that result. We played against a Turkey team that wasn't playing very well. We got a 2-0 result and we lost narrowly to Italy in the last game and we got through. That's what we set out to do and we did it. And it's not always pretty. And and God, this makes me... So the U.S. definitely has the... The, the U.S. seems to have the hardest schedule then, right? Because you play England in the middle. Yes. Uh, that seems pretty hard because that it does. puts everything on that first game because your game one, game three, you don't get first game. You go into game two with something different against England. going to be harder. Uh, and then game three might be the one where you've got to get all your points. And if you don't navigate that, again, it's, it's a game that you have to be able to play against two other teams in your group that are very capable opponents, you know, not that are just hoping to sort of punch you in the mouth one time in these games and, and get out with something. They're, they're, they're capable of keeping possession. They're capable of, of dictating the, 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 the run of play at times they're capable of getting something out of set pieces. And so it's, it's, it's that first game uh, for the U S and Wales is, 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 and it, it seems cliche to say, but the most crucial for both teams through the navigation of the group. Well, I, I get the sense. This is me. Maybe I'm always a glass half full type guy, but, but I just get the sense that it's going to come down to that game against Iran and we're going to need all three points for sure against them. Every every team in the group is looking at Iran as the as the slam dunk three points. It's not going to be that, of course, but but I can understand why they're doing that, especially with their lack of preparation and where they are as a national team and as a federation, just not getting those guys enough valuable games to make sure they're sharp for this. But there's still obviously plenty of time to get them where they need to be. Now, Patrick came out and said, hey, again, the Nations League final against Mexico, we were down a couple times. We came back on set pieces and found a way to get back into that and then ultimately beat 
Mexico in extra time. Horvath saved that penalty against Guardado to go 3-2. That was the famous penalty where and celebration where Christian Pulisic took off his shirt in the corner. So, yes, we have that as an example. I'm looking at World Cup qualifying and Gold Cup. It didn't seem like we had to fight back in any of the Gold Cup games. Uh, we were up with a 1-1 draw against Canada in the second game of World Cup qualifying. We were up 1-0, gave up that goal. That was the last game, I think, for John Anthony Brooks. And then we went down to Honduras. And remember, that was our best. Our, I think you and I, that's like our favorite second half we've ever seen from this team. Mm-hmm. Or a 45-minute performance where we came back and scored four goals at halftime. It was kind of a Ricardo Pepe coming Which out is hard, party. though, because contextually, for anybody who's never experienced playing away in CONCACAF, that, that is really hard exactly, to yeah. turn around and turn a crowd against themselves and turn a team against themselves when you're down away from home. That's a, it's a really, there's some context to that. That's, that's hard to understand because you're like, well, the U S of course comes out in the second half and should beat Honduras. Yeah. At home for sure. Every so, time. so we went down to Panama. Yeah. We lost that one, one zero. Obviously we made a lot of changes, like eight changes. We weren't big fans of that. The Costa Rica game. That was another one. We went down one zero and found a way back into that one. That one was at home. And where Sergio Des hit a bombasso and then team away scored mm-hmm. uh, later in that game to get us the three points. So yes, there is some evidence of us coming back and finding ways to get back in games. And I guess it was it Jamaica. Did Jamaica score first or did we score first against Jamaica? It was Timo Wea scored first and then. Yeah. And then they the hit. Footer. Yeah, that's right. We scored first on that one. Canada. Da, da, da. So that was pretty much it in terms of us having to fight back from your defining or having examples of us getting back into it. But um I mean, there's some uh, value, well, in, there's Salvador, some value in the Gold Cup. Yeah, El Salvador. But there's some value in the Gold Cup final and uh, of 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 leaving it late against Mexico and sort of having to sort of scrap that out because that that one that one had sort of the 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 building of some tension. And that was obviously a mixed squad, different than mm-hmm. than the Nations League. But some of those players are now crucial in the national team uh, from from that window. And so again, it's hard because we're talking about regional experience. Right, we don't right. have big tournament experience. The Gold Cup does matter, but in the context of Nations League, it was sort of broken up. Whereas you know Wales has has a Euros to look at, where they were successful uh, in the grand scheme of things, and now they're in the Nations League, where they're constantly under pressure in 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 these these uh, official tournament type things, where the U.S. again El Salvador uh, not as sort of the magnitude isn't there of this round of the, of the Nations League, and so. Yeah, I mean, if you're saying it's going to come down to that, I'm just getting Iran that feeling game. now. It's going to come back down to that. It's going to come to that Iran game. I mean, we could get two draws. We could be, you know, Wales and and I just feel like we're going to need something. It might it might just be a draw against Iran, but even that becomes a slippery slope. And you know, when you go out there and you try to play for a draw, it's just a weird mentality. It's just like let's not lose this one, you know, as opposed yeah. to actually putting going out there on your front foot and trying to make it happen all right i mean we'll have plenty of time to get into that wales game a big shout out again to iolo chung a bbc journalist from wales from joining us obviously some fantastic insight we'll have make sure we'll get him back on the show very very soon let's talk about gareth bale's newest league though mls because there were some good performances from some u.s men's national team players Heath pierce we saw christian roldan and jordan morris leading the way for seattle sounders 3-0 against sporting kansas city Jordan Morris uh, scored his fourth league goal and his sixth across all competitions. He scored another header. The guy's all of a sudden popping up as our Peter Crouch, by the way, and just banging in headers. He's our big mm-hmm. tall guy up top. He's trying to make a play for the number nine spot. But not to be outdone, Paul Ariola from FC Dallas also scored. He now has eight goals in 15 games for FC Dallas and head coach Nico Estevez, who was the assistant for Greg Berhalter prior to taking the FC Dallas job. That's one more. Then the seven that Ariola scored for DC United in 25 games in 2018. So Ariola is clearly, clearly on fire. You had him in your top 10 power rankings list. Mm-hmm. Now, let me give this as a, a top. Let's go to the top six scorers in MLS. Okay. Mm-hmm. Jesus Ferreira is on top with nine. He's t- tied with Jeremy Abobasi from San Jose with nine. Uh, Sebastian Droyusi from uh, Austin was got nine. Brandon Vasquez from FC Cincinnati's got eight. Uh, Haney Mukhtar from Nashville's got eight and Paul Ariola now has eight. Four mm-hmm. out of those six names for the scoring charts in MLS are all U.S. men's national team eligible, mm-hmm. but only Ferreira and Ariola are actually involved in our player pool in a meaningful way. You think there might be a late shout for uh, a Bobasi or a Vasquez to potentially? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we've seen it before. We've talked about yes. it 
with we talked about Finley 2010. Yeah. and Edson Buttle. You think you think if these guys just keep going and get up to 20 goals, that Greg Berhalter would give them a shot? Yeah, I, I mean, again, we're, we've just increased the roster by three spots. And so while you were looking at like a Ricardo Pepe maybe being your sleeper pick, should he not be in scoring form right now uh, or going into the World Cup, you've now got a little bit more depth where you can say, hey, Ricardo Pepe, I'm going to bring him anyway because I still think he's our best striker. But I need to bring these guys that are scoring, right? Whether that's Vasquez or 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 otherwise, I, I think that or you know could Bobasi uh, even. I just think that there is there is, and I'm sure they're getting lots of looks at these guys. And I know there's plenty of reasons not to bring them in at this point. But if they're in top form and that continues for the next, you know, you're going to be talking about 16, 17 goals, even even pushing that 20 goal mark. That form is worth something or valuable. And again. You go, as Greg Berhalter's mentioned all these times, like the thing about all those guys is that they were strikers, right? In 2010, when he, when he, when he identified your question and, and answered it very directly, these guys are strikers. And when you're going to a World Cup, if we don't have strikers that are in form, it might be the perfect excuse to bring a couple other on deck, bring them into camp, see what happens. And there might be that what could have been the Chris Wondolowski moment in 20, 2014 where he gets his chance at the end of the game a goal that Wondolowski scores 99 out of 100 times. Unfortunately, that was the one out of 100 that he misses. But having a player like that that you can put into these situations and go, they got the hot hand. If I get them anywhere and I get the ball to them anywhere in and around the goal, I think they have a good chance of converting. So you have to you have to consider that. It'd be stupid not to, I think, at this point, especially with the fact it's not like we have a one, two, and a three there on, on our striker position. So, I mean, what's your thought on it? No, I, it's it's uh, and I see Ace of Spades. I think he's saying I wouldn't take the MLS top scores to on uh, honestly, um, or I would take the MLS top score honestly. Maybe he's saying it exactly how he wrote, but um, yeah, I think there's there's something there. I mean, if you have someone who is feeling good about themselves and getting themselves in good spots, imagine how much better they would play potentially for the national team. I always enjoyed playing for the national team. I thought the game was easier in some ways because everybody was so good around me. I only had to focus on my job where I, when you're at the club level, no matter what club you play at, you always feel like you got to probably do a little bit more. You got to wear more than one hat because if you don't, your team probably won't get the same type of results if you're not doing multiple things. So at least that's how it felt in my perspective. Do you agree with that Heath, that the national team felt easier in some ways? Yeah. A lot of times the game got quicker and faster, more predictable. There was less erratic types of things because of that. And you have quality around you that again, there's a few club situations where you feel the game is easier when you have a good group around you that listen well and move well. But generally the national team felt, uh, the competition stiffer. Don't get me wrong, but you also have the benefit of you're around guys that are so good at what they do. And, and, and to your point, it's funny that you use the word predictable because when I played it with next to Eddie Pope or, or Gooch or Chirondolo or Boca Negra, whoever, Demerit, I knew what those guys were going to do because they were so consistent in their decision-making that it made it more predictable for me. And I don't want people to, to misinterpret that word in particular. I think that predictable is, is a good thing, especially when you're moving together in a group and not getting a lot of time to practice with each other, just having a really good understanding of how everybody moves and i always enjoyed playing with the national team for well, you that be reason. more efficient all the time right yes, like when you played exactly right. at a club team with players around you that maybe didn't have that consistency or quality that 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 you held yourself to or didn't have that there were times that you had to overcommit or or over move which left gaps elsewhere because you had to compensate for things around you or in the national team there's a certain level or a standard that that you know that i need to cover here i the game is more played more as 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 the position suggests versus being like oh I've got this person next to me and I know if that ball goes over their shoulder I've got to be a step closer to them otherwise otherwise we're screwed and I've seen it happen over and over again that they get beat in these spots or I've got this midfielder that's not willing to track back and and you know club coach thinks it's okay because of what they bring offensively there's a little bit more of that honesty to the game which makes the game more predictable makes it more efficient and and in a lot of ways easier of course yeah yeah no it's, there's a lot of nuance to that and i feel like when players go to the national team too the level of focus is different yeah. you you can maybe get away with let's say lazy sounds sounds wrong but you can maybe get away with some stuff at the club level and 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 understandably so i mean the club is a, is a grind right it's a 10 month 11 month journey whereas the national team is so so spotty and when you're in you got to be locked in and i feel like when you come into that situation if everybody locked in with those types of qualities that everybody has and that that level of consistency in their decision making 
it just makes the whole process a lot yeah. easier. So I just wanted to throw that out there. But if you had someone, just to bring this back into the number nine spot, if you had somebody who was killing it in MLS and scores 20 goals from some of the names that we mentioned that were U.S. men's national team eligible, Obobese and, and Vasquez in particular in this, then we could naturally potentially assume that when they got inserted into the national team, even though the level of competition is higher, that confidence is, is really hard to replicate and find if you don't have it and if you haven't been hitting the back of the net. And I think it might be worth a flyer to bring in a Vasquez or a Bobasi if they have scored and proven that they've been scoring consistently over a 10-month span. Heath, agree or disagree? I fully agree. I, All right. <laughs> yeah. 26 players, you take your chance. Like you got to take a chance. Yeah. I mean, then you see how he trains because you have that 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 training camp leading up to it. You can see how they fit within the group. And I know it's a bit of a risk. One or two or three of our picks are going to be a risk. We're also we should just raise our hand. We should have talked about this with Yolo as well. But you're going to have one or two players that are maybe significant that are hurt as well. So then what happens? Right. And there's going to be a lot of tinkering that that's going to have to to and, and that might include bringing uh, a bit of a risky pick to to come into the team. So we'll have to wait and see how that all plays out all right Heath Pierce that was fun I enjoy doing this podcast with you as always if you guys want to join in on the conversation and it's not right now and you're listening to it later hit us up on Twitter ISWT pod and uh, let us know your thoughts any questions you want us to answer in the future we would love that we're gonna have a very special guest Julian Lescott former England national team center back joining us he's also helping the U21 three Lions team as well he'll be joining us later this week so that should be a lot of fun make sure you circle your calendars for that Thursday will be coming to you live 12 p.m pacific 3 p.m eastern and then Friday we go again 10 a.m pacific 1 p.m eastern turn on those notifications hit like and subscribe any final thoughts Heath Pierce before we say adieu to everybody before we say Freddie adieu to everybody uh that's been watching so far yeah, uh, shout out to Dave for recognizing this is Chivas USA. Jimmy uh, <laughs> and I were both, uh, like it or not, Chivas USA was an institution for both player and and coach. You know, if you look at uh, Bob Bradley, Jesse Marsh, uh, who else came through there? Precky. Uh, mm -hmm. What are some other coaches that came through the institution? Um, of, Did uh, Rongen, uh, Thomas Rongen coach there? I believe it. At uh, I'm going to look it up one, right now. At one point, plus Jimmy and I were both there, so yeah, uh, all things considered. Well, that's where that's where defenders went to die. Okay, yeah. his career died there. <laughs> yeah. Danny Caleb's career died there. Mine died there. Yours died there. It's like, oh, it's terrible. Yeah, but it was a. Hey, it's a good. It's a good list of players, though. We well, yeah, Wilmer Cabrera was coaching there. Robin Frazier, obviously. Robin Rongen. Frazier, yeah. Greg Vanny. Greg Guys, Vanny. This is an institution. Martin it's a coaching Vasquez. institution. <laughs> Jose Luis Real, Hans Westerhoff. And Jose Luis Sanchez Sosa were all in terms of what Chivas USA originally wanted, which was Mexicans only. It is the exact opposite of the plan <laughs> they had set out, but it did produce some good coaches. All right, everybody. We're going to call it a day here for In Soccer We Trust. We appreciate your support. Like always, make sure those likes and subscribes or wherever you're listening to it, any podcast platform of your choice, hit subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. We would love that. We'll give you a high five in person once we see you in real life. And uh, thank you once again to Iolo Chung for coming on from Wales. BBC journalist gave us some Smart great guy. insight on the Welsh national team. Smarter than us and definitely smarter than Charlie Davies. He'll definitely be joining us when we return with Julian Lescott, England national team center back from back in the day later this week. So we'll see you then. Thanks for listening and watching as always. Later. Later.